once people get into it, like once they get past the tech challenges or the lighting or the staging or whatever it is, and they start to experience some of the results from going video, I very, very rarely, probably some examples, but it's funny that you don't see people turning back. And overall, what people come to realize, and this was the biggest insight for me, is they go, well, if I'm going to spend all this time creating a podcast, I really want to maximize the return from it. I want to maximize the result I can get from it. And video is that way of doing it. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Schramko. Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 892. Today we're chatting with our good friend and special repeat guest, Charlie Vallow. Welcome back. It's nice to be back, James. Thanks for having me on. It's great having you. We've got scheduled quite a few episodes coming. And just to give context, if you've never heard of Charlie Valor before, then obviously you're not a super fast business listener because he's been on many, many times. He's my resident expert, special co-host guest when it comes to the topic of podcasts and all matters relating to video and audio. Not nerd, not geek, just special interest only, right? But just a quick recap, this speaks volumes. The microphone I'm using right now, the sound deck I'm using right now, the light in the background that I'm using right now, the camera that we're filming on, the thing, the ATEM Mini Black Magic that I'm running that camera through, all of this stuff is a result of Charlie. And I used to do audio podcasts and we now do video podcasts. And it's because of you, Charlie. Vala Media has been a great supporter of how we improve this show and you have helped so many of my own clients. I just wanted to firstly express massive gratitude, but the most important point here is, you know, what people are experiencing, you've had a sincere hand in making that happen and I'm always one to credit the people who help me out and of course the people who are listening to this or watching this is in point about today's topic will be uh, the beneficiaries of your great mind. Today, we want to talk about video podcasting, and I thought that was a good starting point, like the fact that I went from just audio to video as well. And I want to sort of open up the floor with, let's just talk about if someone is doing an audio podcast right now or thinking of starting an audio podcast, why would you suggest they might want to consider video podcasting, Charlie? That's a great question. And thank you so much for the kind words, I will say as well. I mean, I do enjoy the improved particular audio quality, James. I love that mic with you now on the podcast. Well, so does everyone I talk to. They're like, have you changed your microphone? Or like, gosh, that sounds good. What is it? And I think you've been responsible for half a dozen purchases from people who I podcast with where they say, I just need to have what you have. And I always give you the credit, of course. Oh, nice. I should have got an affiliate link, but uh, maybe an opportunity missed. Well, I send them to you. Some of them, I think, are actually Valor Media clients getting their shows produced by you now. And of course, it's the silly question everyone always asks, what mic should I use? I didn't start with this mic, but I'm definitely using it now and it makes such a big difference for my listener. I'll set the tone on video podcasts with something interesting I've observed and then also leading into like why perhaps someone should go from just audio into the video realm as well. Across all the shows we manage, which is quite a few, one of the biggest things I noticed across when I was digging through all the stats and data, particularly in the, let's say the last 18 months, is that video is becoming a more dominant part of every podcast that does video. And to give you an example, if we went back like three years now, I would expect like using the 80-20 rule that maybe 20% of someone's views might be video and like 80% would be audio. And that was pretty common. 
But since all the behaviours have changed for a lot of people now that they work from home and maybe don't have that commute, or they can't go work out in a gym like they used to, that's really changed in a huge way. And we've seen particularly YouTube in ways of a platform just absolutely rise through the ranks of becoming the video podcast platform. So more commonly now, I see that videos just become incredibly dominant. It's become something that I think is a very interesting approach to getting traction with the show and also something I can only see getting bigger from here. So I think as a podcaster, you are ignoring this at your own demise at this point. I think it's certainly that's becoming the gold standard of the industry itself. You know, we've called it on this particular, in Superfast Business, we've talked about YouTube for a long time, actually over 10 years. I remember having Giddy O'Shalwick come and talk at my event about YouTube video way back in the day. I work very closely with agencies who run YouTube ads, like the fabulous, amazing James Bond-esque Tom Breeze. And it's just growing. Businesses like that are growing. Obviously, he's very, very good at it. There's other people in our network, like Alana Wexler. She's teaching people how to run YouTube ads. I've noticed in your own agency a shift since we've been hanging out together, Charlie. You're getting more involved in the video side of things because it just makes sense to lean into it. It's like a Richard Koch star principle. You take the top percentage of the hyper growth areas and YouTube video is it. One of the huge changes for our own distribution is we stopped just using that Amazon feed to distribute through the Apple platform. We started natively loading our videos to Facebook on your suggestion and YouTube. And even though it gave me a little less control, it gave me a whole lot more exposure and audience. I mean, here we are, this is episode 892, and we're powering along. And there's so many more podcasts than when I started. I mean, look, this is ridiculous. Yesterday, I was looking at some stats and we're in the top 70-something podcasts in Australia. And I remember when we were always top 10. But considering how many other business podcasts there are and how much better most people are than I am at podcasting, I'll actually take that. I'll take a top 100 any day of the week. And part of it is because we're reaching people in platforms we haven't seen them before. And what I have noticed, and this is probably a really big point, and I'd love you to speak to this point, is I feel like people see me and they build a stronger bond than when they could just hear me or see a name of a podcast and listen to a voice when they're actually watching the person, the body reactions. I know my team have made me do all these wacky poses for their thumbnails. You're building a stronger, deeper connection using video, true or false? True. Well, they know like, uh, what is it when they look at the ways we communicate? Even now I'm doing this intentionally, but I'm moving my hands and that is insinuating points. There's a whole bunch or a new level of communication that comes when someone can see you, like they're reading body language. I can't remember where the quote comes from, but I believe it was like only 10% of communication comes from the words we say. Like there's all these other cues we pick up on either consciously or subconsciously that really define how we're communicating with another person. So of course, when you add video in, it builds a whole nother level to things. And I would go as far to say as I think it builds a deeper level of trust because we feel we know more about a person. We feel like we understand them. And in your case, I can see the guitar behind you now and I can see the hint of an exercise ball in the other corner. And that's kind of telling me more about who you are. And if I'm like you, like, can I relate to you? Can you relate to me? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Can you see a little uh, hint of an exercise bike there? Do you know, I have a habit of always bringing cycling into a podcast in one way or another. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to mention the bike. Well, I'm going to mention it. I, this is like for anyone not aware, this, this is Charlie is a fanatical cyclist. His passion for cycling is akin to my passion for surfing. 
Some people ask, why don't I have a surfboard in the backdrop? Actually, nobody's asked that, but I imagine they probably would ask that. My living situations changed from the old set when I had the surfboard. I was in a smaller place and I literally had surfboard stuffed into most rooms of the house, including my studio, and they were a nice feature. This is not my guitar. I'm not a guitar player, but it certainly it's suiting the room at the moment. But this set will actually end up having a floor-to-ceiling bookcase. And so it's going to take on a really nice colourful thing. And I noticed the ClickBank studio has a colour-coded bookcase exactly like I used to have at uh, the old set. So it will change over time. I think you've raised an important point. I know I do this. And thinking about this, when you're having a Zoom with someone, do you take in what's going on in the background? Do you pay attention to the set? And does that help you form an opinion about the person you're dealing with? If the place was like a messy pigsty, if you see a kitchenette in the background, do you think, oh, it's a studio apartment? If it's noisy, do you think, well, they're in a compromised recording situation? If the sound quality is weak, do you think they're not really taking it seriously or they're willing to put the listener through listening hell or to make an editor's nightmare? <laughs> like, There's so much information that we can take in with our eyes. So using all these senses is good. That being said, do people still consume a podcast that's recorded in video as audio? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the main reason I got into video about 18 months ago was I saw the marketing opportunity. One of the things I think is probably not spoken enough about is that if you start an audio podcast, unless you already have a following or are doing something with other marketing material, it's incredibly hard to market. And the reason I say that is because audio clips themselves don't lend themselves well to like promoting on Facebook or Facebook ads or YouTube ads. It's a very challenging medium to market where your options are limited and it's also very saturated. Now for some people, and I always tend to get feedback, I'll call it feedback, but maybe trolls will say, oh, that's just not true. You can definitely just start an audio podcast and get it off the ground. And you totally can. You really can. But there's some headwinds. There's some obvious headwinds. And I would say, of course, if Elon Musk or Oprah started a podcast, they could probably do it because they have that brand leverage. But for the norms, which I would consider myself in that category, it's just so many tailwinds going for video, it's not funny. So that marketing aspect being number one, if you do a video podcast to your point, James, as you've natively posted on Facebook and YouTube, you're getting additional exposure that's easier to get. There's also the advantage of creating snippets and clips, which is probably one of the most valuable aspects of it is that repurposing element you can take from your show. And then the next component of that is if you're using video in that way, it's just a whole lot more powerful in the marketing presence, I feel. So particularly for newcomers, I feel like that is the advantage you gain by doing a video show over an audio show. Now, you've already mentioned some great ones here about like that connection element, which I think is really, really cool when it comes to it. But what I find incredibly fascinating is how many people discover a podcast on video and then transition over to audio because maybe they're driving and they can only listen to some. Like there definitely is an interchangeability that goes on with podcasting. And the example I'll use, and I think it's a really good one, is like, you know, people have a mobile phone, they might watch something on their phone for a little bit, but then they'll finish the video on their computer or they'll transition to an iPad. Like there is that synchronicity that goes across devices and medium types with podcasting. Yeah, when I went to Google, probably about 10 years ago, they called it multi-screening. And there's the awareness that people are consuming media in, in different modalities and on different devices in a single day, you know, even moments apart. Already today, for example, I've used my iPad, my phone, and this iMac. And there may come an occasion tonight where I'll probably pull out a laptop. And that might sound ridiculous, 
to some, but I've used my iPad down in my living room to do a Zoom call, which wasn't recorded, which wasn't a podcast, just a coaching call. I did it in a comfortable environment where I could just have a coffee and chill in a comfy chair because I like to spend my time outside of this office. I think this stems back from when I quit my job and I associate freedom with not being in a structured workplace. I do the bulk of my forum posts and attending socials, et cetera, from my phone. And I record podcasts on this machine. This is a podcast recording machine primarily. That's what I do this work on. So it is a reality. I'm thinking about a friend of mine, a surfing friend of mine has a wife who's got a really successful podcast, masses and masses of downloads. It's audio only. I think they film it in a cupboard. They've got kids. They just you know shut the door, get in there and there's two of them. They film it together in person in audio only. I can see that that might be logistically, it's like a couple of questions for you, Charlie. If you could only do audio, is it better to do only audio or nothing at all? And if you are only doing audio, is it worth adding or switching to video? Because I imagine there are some complexities having been through that process myself and especially guided by you in terms of camera upgrades, lighting upgrades, environmental upgrades are required. There is a higher degree of complexity perhaps for video if you want a minimum standard. So there's two questions there I'll let you have a go at. All right, so let's cover the first one with your friend, for example, here. Yeah. Is it worth starting an audio-only podcast today? I say it's better than nothing. It really is. And there's an example I would use here is that, you know, 10 minutes a day in the sun give you enough vitamin D where you'll survive. Is it the optimum? Definitely not. I think we can, actually, I won't claim any health accolades at all, but I think you probably get more. (laughs) But the point I'd make there is like there's minimum effective dose to the point where maybe in this case you won't get ill or sick. But then on the other side of things is we look at optimum. Now, in the case of your friends, if they've got kids and logistics and they're working through those things, and I had a little chuckle because I've been a closet podcaster myself at a point where it's just like the sound quality is much better in a cupboard because of all your clothes. But the point I make there is like, that's great for them if that's where they're at. But if they're slowly building up their audience now or doing things in that realm, it opens the opportunity if they would like to go to video and then significantly more opportunities will be available to them or new audience to reach. So I think that's a really powerful idea. The second thing to that though is if you have the means, you can obviously move a lot faster by doing a video podcast in these ways today. I think it is absolutely worth taking seriously. I will mention one more point here that I think is important is that, James, when you got into podcasting, I feel like you hit this golden stride where because it was the early days and there were so few podcasts, you could get away with a bit more. People wouldn't necessarily switch shows because one episode didn't have the greatest audio. In today's environment, I would say the opposite is true. I would say people are so spoiled for choice and there's so many podcasts that if you're dropping the ball on those things that people will go to another show, like it's not hard to find another show in your niche. So I'm not sure I would ever want to be in a stage where someone was leaving my show and going to someone else due to a quality issue. I think this is something worth taking seriously. And another example I'll give is that on a previous show of yours, which I listened to, James, is like you mentioned the idea that if you want to buy a good.com domain, like you've got to be up for a couple of grand now. That's just the way it is. But as a business asset, to have that has weight and trust and a whole bunch of things. I look at it, well, the bar has risen a little bit on podcasting since it once was. Amazing technology, but if you're not willing to put in a couple of grand, in this case, for equipment to hit that minimum standard, maybe you're not taking it that seriously at all. Like maybe that's just the way we need to be thinking about minimum viable opportunity in video podcasting. You know, I was chatting with someone this morning and they spent seven grand renting equipment for a conference that they ran from their home. And I said, why don't you just buy all that stuff? Like 
probably for ten or fifteen thousand dollars, you could buy absolutely everything from camera, mixer, sound deck, good mic, curtains, lights, and have it permanently set up in a spare room. And you've got a walk-in, walk-out studio. I mean, like this. This is set up. The interesting thing for me, this was really the defining moment for me to understand how important this is. My listeners will remember if you go back a few episodes. There was a period where I started to change my studio. I pulled the sound stuff off the wall, left a horrible mess. It looked like graffiti. And then I packed away everything except for the iMac and the USB mic. And so I basically dropped the lighting, the good camera, the good mic, the amp, the deck and everything. And it all went in a box and it went away and it moved state. And then I went into quarantine and I filmed one episode on my iPhone and I also used a digital Zoom recorder, a portable recorder, my old, old, old one that I used for some of my early audio episodes. And I think my team probably spliced that into that clip. So that's like the absolute lowest setting possible is iPhone video on a tripod in the hotel quarantine episode, one of the most popular episodes I've done for a long time because it was a very emotional episode and I wanted to document what was happening. And that was More so than any other episode, that one I wanted to produce. I actually felt for a moment like a creative artist podcaster where I just felt I needed to share this story. And so that was the most connected I've been with the purpose for that thing. And I I had so many people reach out, like hundreds and hundreds of people send messages and whatever. And then as I got out of quarantine and came here, I started scaling back the tech. And you can actually see the timeline when I went from just the iMac lens to the good camera and the USB mic, which is still over here as my backup to the good mic. And then I put in the lights. There's a little bit of rigging, like slight pain in the ass to unbox it all, find all the cables, put it on the tripod, run extra powered sockets and stuff. But once it was set up, that's it. I don't touch it. I just walk in, switch, 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 boom, I'm recording. And the lift in quality again. So hopefully, if you're still listening to this episode 892, You rode through that dip with me, but you got to see the difference between good and not good quality on this sort of nested arc of down and back up. But what it really taught me, and I'm getting to my point, is that having the good stuff is worth the extra effort. And I would highly recommend it if you're going to go for a video podcast, have a minimum standard of equipment. If you don't know what that minimum standard of equipment is, I invite you to reach out to Charlie. Sorry, Charlie at valamedia.com and ask him, you can ask him what I've got set up. You can ask him what he would recommend and also consider having your show produced by his team because this is another realization that I've had. My team are good. We produce two episodes a week, week in, week out for many years, like clockwork, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but for the most part, it's hands off for me. I appreciate absolutely every aspect of what they're doing from editing to publishing the post, to sending the email, to doing the socials, to making the thumbnails, like basically everything other than me talking right now is team. But to emulate that is just so significant. It's just a massive amount of effort to bring on team members, to have them trained up, to run them like a well-oiled machine. And when you compare the cost basis, it works out, and Charlie, you and I have benchmarked this, it works out, it would be pretty much cost you exactly the same to have a company like Charlie's just do everything for you, just give them the media and they do their bits, and it would cost you the same as if you had to hire, train, manage, and look after everyone. Now, my team's not going anywhere, but we don't do it for anyone else, but Charlie does. So I want you to speak to that in-house versus external supply for production, because I know that's definitely your strong suit, Charlie, of many. And 
What have you seen in terms of people botching it in-house or you just taking it on for a similar cost space and getting a better result? How does that work out? Yeah, that, this is such an interesting question. First off, the amount of podcasts I audit where someone will tell me it's like their VA, a solo person just doing all of it and the quality that comes out is just below bar. People are spending immense time finding guests, recording, buying mics, and then they really fall down on that production bit. And I would just say like first impressions matter and second impressions. And if unfortunately low quality video files or audio quality is released, it has an impact on a brand. So I always encourage people to be pushing towards the best quality they can work with. Now, the second thing of that is that Valor Media kind of started on that frustration for myself. So when I first got into podcasting, I made the assumption, oh, my VA will just be able to do this. I had one VA who had you know, a little bit of Canvas skills, a little bit of writing skills, could maybe put a WordPress blog up. And I got her to do it. And I was like severely disappointed because I would listen to some of the big shows like Joe Rogan, or I might listen to This American Life. I would listen to like a minute of the clip and then I would listen to a minute of mine and I'd be like, why doesn't mine sound like that? And then the first thing I did was like, oh, it's got to be the microphone. Like the, the microphone's got to be it. So then you buy the mic. And then I did it again. And I'm like, why doesn't mine sound like that? Like I've got all this gear now. Like why isn't mine getting close to the level of these companies? And then it was the sound insulation. I was like, right, I've got to insulate the whole room. That's what they've got. That's what they've got. And I had made a huge mistake that I didn't appreciate some of the specialty skills that go into being a video editor or an audio editor. Now, when I then got the team to bring up the equivalent quality, so again, have my stuff sounding comparable to the best shows, I realized I needed like a team of three or four people. This isn't something that could be done with just one VA. And then I had come to the conclusion that it wasn't very cost effective to build out a team if you didn't have other things for them to do if they were just working on a podcast. And that was kind of the light bulb moment on it's more efficient to get someone or get a team together and do this as a service because it's the service I would have wanted. And to my delight, it was like it appears it was a bit of a frustration in the market. So if you are someone that wanted to achieve a higher quality output without having to hire like three to four people to make it all work, we become a great solution for that. And then the advantage is this is all we do. Like there are no other tasks. We're very specialized in making sure we're good in this case of video podcasts, but audio podcasts as well. Look, and what you haven't said there that is important is to your background. Your background was teaching people systems and running a recruitment business. Now, these are the essential missing pieces that most people struggle with. And look, we have a recruitment business, visionfine.com. My wife and I run that. And we do get people applying for one VA who they think is going to run their show. And like what you were talking about before, it's just completely unrealistic. In my own business, at Superfast Business, we have three or four people who are directly involved in producing this podcast. And you know, we have a team of six doing various tasks, like basically everything we need to do for our business. But it's not a one-person role to produce multiple episodes a week at a higher quality level. Now, I'm not saying we're the highest quality level. I think we have a fair quality level and obviously a sustainable quality level. But if I were to start again from right now, I would just get Charlie to do everything for me. That would be so easy. <laughs> so there you go. But in saying that, I'm really happy with what we've got and we'll sustain what we've got because you know my average team member has now been working with me for 10 years. Let that just sink in for a minute. So if you think you'll get your VA next week and they're going to be producing your podcast for $350 US a month, it's not going to happen. Well, it might happen, but I don't know how well it's going to go <laughs> from many, many points of view. 
One of the big ongoing situations that is difficult for people is maintaining their team base. And, you know, you just eliminate that whole problem. You've made that your challenge and not their challenge. And that's what I like about it. What you have is a simple outcome, high quality podcast service from a raw input. How important is it in terms of what inputs you're getting from the client? You've hinted at a couple. It's good if they record it at a good quality. I believe there's much more detail, though, about the premise guiding them in terms of what to create and whether it's rubbish or whether it's amazing. And if you think it actually serves their overall strategy, rather than just processing files, you're actually having an input into the success of the podcast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the advantages I have is we work on so many shows and after a while you start to go, well, why are these ones really successful and these ones are not? And often when people come to work with Valamedia or they come to an audit with us, this is one of the things I like to point out is like more often than not, the show strategy doesn't match the outcome they would like to produce. And sometimes just bringing awareness to that can be an absolute game changer for this person when it comes to doing a podcast. I've got a ton of examples. Would you like some examples on this? Or No, I will skip that. Of course I want examples, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> or someone sitting there screaming, yes, please just give me the information. Uh, so I had, it was really interesting to me that I had someone who had a fitness podcast, right? They were in fitness and they were really trying to serve two markets where on one hand, they were trying to cover the technical nature of like doing a deadlift or a squat or uh, push-up technique and things like that. And then on the other hand, they were trying to teach people how to run a successful personal training company. So these two polarizing words where it's like they're almost trying to give technical information on like how they can train better and then how they can teach them to run this successful business. And then when I asked them why, their reason for it is that they wanted the personal trainers to be able to teach things better, like the technical skills, but also have the business acumen to go with it. And then I asked, well, what do you do for a business? And they were said, well, we just help companies particularly grow their, basically get clients for personal trainers. And what they had not connected with is the idea that half the content they were making just wasn't relevant. Like most personal trainers are actually pretty good at what they do. That's not the advice they were coming for. So when we shifted that show just to be directly focused on helping personal trainers run a more successful personal training business and drop the rest, they had astronomically more success in converting people from listeners into the business because now one of your great quotes, James, every piece of content needs to support the sale and they just lost sight of that. So I thought that was a really, really interesting one. I thought that was a particularly good one. Another one is that often people will go way too broad with their show. Like they will cover things that, and again, kind of similar context, but different in light is they will help solve a particular problem, but then they'll try and cover every topic that is around this niche. And I just think that's a, a very difficult thing to get around. So if you're someone with other, you know, in my case, I know a lot about video. I could speak around so many other elements of like video ads and video things. But at the end of the day, Media only really serves people who are podcasters. Like podcasting is the main niche. So if I was going to do a podcast and start talking about all these other video things, it wouldn't really be relevant to the podcasters. So that alienation is just such a huge thing that we come across continually. Yeah, the way it was put to me by a lady called Kat Morginoff was that everything must support the sale, so every element. So it's a great prime filter. I'd already heard a similar thing when it comes to sales, that everything you say that's relevant for the client moves the sale forward and everything that's not relevant takes it back. That's why we used to categorize when we were selling into this acronym that would help us partition off a sales presentation according to the needs of the customer. And then Derek Halpern talked about this on social triggers. One of the biggest mistakes people make is making content for the wrong audience. They make content for their competitors sometimes. That's another huge one. 
rather than their end customer. It begs the question, who is your content for and what transformation are you looking to, transformation, this really comes from John Lint, (laughs) what transformation are you hoping to achieve? In the case of this episode, is video podcasting worthwhile? The person listening to this podcast is most likely got a podcast or would be considering a podcast. And my goal with this is to help them make good choices when it comes to whether they should go video or not, whether the outcomes are worth the hassle and the pain of having to go to that stage. My own experience has been that it was good to be involved with Charlie, that it has been good to go with the video modality, even though initially I resisted it for two reasons. One is because I don't need to consume videos as a consumer, but then I realized I don't even listen to podcasts, so my opinion doesn't matter at all. And the second reason was it's just a little more effort to do the staging of lights and cameras versus just hitting audio. I used to love the ease and simplicity of just recording audio, ditching the video, and sending it off to the team. And we managed to do that for many, many, many years. But there's been hyperinflation. You're right, Charlie. There's so much more choice. And you're also right. I mean, I just got in early enough to be mediocre and still succeed. It was like anyone could have done okay with podcasts back then. And I have had to continually improve over the years. It's not a static thing. Same as you have to pay your team a little more than you did a few years ago because there's more people aware that you can actually hire people to work in your business. Even books like mine, Work Less, Make More, available on Amazon or free at my site, james.co, you would learn about bringing in team or hiring a specialist operation instead of team. But as long as it's not you, which is how I started and I imagine you probably did too, Charlie. I used to edit my own podcasts and publish my own podcasts and that retarded the growth of my business because I was doing work that was not the highest effective hourly rate that I could be earning, which is usually just talking to someone in a coaching situation or talking to my team, obviously is very powerful, and talking to guests for my podcast, which is really the core conversion tool that we use to help people get to know me and my partners and friends who I bring onto the show and sometimes There's a financial tie-in, sometimes there's not. I mean, I've had a number of guests where I just really want to bring them to my audience. I have no financial gain. Some of my partners, there's some stakeholding in it for me, but I also believe in everything that I support. My trust level and my filters are very high because I plan to be in this game for a long time. Which I find so interesting, James. Most people, and I say most that are podcasters that go the jump into video, there's this resistance. Like they're always, ah, the lights and the staging and I can't look like a slob when I do it anymore. Not that people do that, but maybe. I just interviewed a guy in a singlet. so, So there's that. It's not an issue. But once people get into it, like once they get past the tech challenges or the lighting or the staging or whatever it is, and they start to experience some of the results from going video, I very, very rarely, probably some examples, but it's funny that you don't see people turning back. And overall, what people come to realize, and this was the biggest insight for me, is they go, well, if I'm going to spend all this time creating a podcast, I really want to maximize the return from it. I want to maximize the result I can get from it. And video is that way of doing it. That's the overwhelming truth in it all when you look at the state of podcasting right now. I'm going to say it like this. It's probably um, 20% more difficult to make, but it gives you five times more opportunities to promote. And you were on to me about this too. You're like, great, you're publishing so many episodes, but you should promote them more. So we do create tweetables. We do tell our guests, here's your episode. Here's some little sound bites. We make up materials for them. I go and share it as well. My team share it. We email about it. 
my guests are enjoying the content we're creating. I try and help my guests have a show they're proud to be involved with. Hopefully you'll share this episode, Charlie. Are we meeting the bar? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. No, of course, we'll give it a good promotion. Anyway, what do you think is the most important thing that we should cover before we wrap up? This is, is video podcasting worthwhile. For me, the proof in the pudding is simply this. I still make video podcasts. If I didn't think it was useful, I would not be doing it because there's very few things that I do anymore in my 15-hour work week. And making video podcasts is a couple of hours of my week and the rest of it is coaching, which interestingly, and this is really, really interesting, Lately, I've made a lot of Loom videos for my coaching students, so we do asynchronous coaching, but I used to just do text. So now I make videos for clients a lot. I never used to bother because it's so easy now. I've got the camera and the mic. I just flick on Loom, which I think you also suggested because I was getting this horrific lag from Screencast. I just use Loom on my browser or my app on my iMac here. I'm making a lot of videos. Also, I use it on my phone. It's incredible. Tip, when you're making videos on your phone, you can click on the 4K button if you want, super high quality, but it probably gets broken down anyway. But I give my team the highest quality recording possible. And I'm making a lot more video content because I'm set up to make video content. Hopefully that makes sense. And it has deepened the relationships I have with my coaching students. Now, even on our group call, we're doing video again. We used to do it seven or eight years ago, but then a lot of the crew were just audio only people. And now we do video again. So Video's made its way back into my life and I'm okay with that. Thanks for all your inspiration, Charlie. Your ideas have helped me. Hopefully they bring some joy to people listening to episode 892. Of course, your information is there at valermedia.com, V-A-L-H-E-R media.com. Charlie, we're going to have you back for a number of other episodes. I've drafted out a few. We're going to talk about different podcast types in the future and a few other sensational topics. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.